Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, what's up, everyone? We are so glad that you are here today, that uh, you chose to spend part of your work here at Grumlaw, especially if this is your first time maybe joining us. Uh, We never take that for granted. Thank you for giving us a chance. And I also just want to challenge and invite you to come back for at least three weeks. And the reason that we say that is every single week is unique. Every single week is different. We think it's frankly going to take you at least a couple of weeks to really get an accurate feel uh, of what we are all about here. Uh, Keep drawing closer to God and he will always draw closer to you. Uh, Today is an especially exciting day here at Grumlaw as it is Baptism Sunday. And and it's an especially special Baptism Sunday as today we are baptizing more people on a single day than we ever have before. 30 33 people to be exact. It's like, whoa, we get excited about that. And we're not applauding and celebrating a number. Uh, We're rather applauding and celebrating all of the lives that have been completely transformed by Jesus. Uh, This today pretty well encapsulates why we do everything that we do uh, around here. As I often remind our staff, uh, this, what we're experiencing here in this faith community, it's not normal. God, for whatever reason, continues to pour out a rather inordinate amount of favor on this church. And what a privilege that, that all of us get a front row seat to that. But, but before we get to the best part of the service, where a bunch of people are going to be getting baptized, uh, we're going to have a conversation this morning around a discipline or, or a habit that, that is as misunderstood as it is underutilized. Now, now, for those of you who are perhaps new around here, we're about halfway through a series right now titled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, we're very practically, we're unpacking how we might go about, well, unhurrying our, our lives. Because the truth is, for, for most of us, we, we've had this sneaking suspicion, and, and we've had this suspicion, well, for quite a while now, that, that while this psychotic 120-mile-an-hour pace might be normal in our, in our Western world, it, it can't possibly be good for us. And what we've attempted to establish is, is not only is, is hurry, not only is busyness wreaking havoc on ourselves and our relationships with the people that we would all agree matter the most, it's actually undermining our relationship with the living God. This frenetic way of life is, is wreaking havoc on, on our souls. So the question then becomes, okay, how does one go about re- reclaiming their, their soul? Or, or to put it in less spiritual terms, how, how do you go about unhurrying your, your life? Well, as it would turn out, Jesus, he, he offers us a solution. And, and it's not a three-step process. It's, it's not five hacks to reclaim your life. He, he rather, and so many followers of Jesus, we, we miss this. He, he offers us a lifestyle to, to emulate. Jesus' invitation, it's, it's rather simple. Live like, like I lived. And, and hear what will be what you will experience. That This is the promise that we've been talking about, our sort of theme verse for this series. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And as we've been taking note of, if we're honest, that, that sounds like a lot of our lives. And he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I mean, come on, who wouldn't want this? And furthermore, consider the alternative which, as it turns out, is probably what you're currently experiencing. Never enough hours in a day, 
uh, emotionally withdrawn. You feel distant from almost everyone. You're, you're exhausted. So how do we live into this promise from, from Jesus himself, God in, in the flesh? We're spending the latter half of this series specifically exploring the day-to-day habits that, that made up Jesus' existence. And for the follower of Jesus, the habits that therefore ought to be a part of, of our lives so, so that we can become more and more conformed in, into his image. For those of you who are watching right now and you're still very much on the fence about following Jesus, again, we're, we're so glad that you've joined us. But, but very practically speaking, um, what do you have to lose? I mean, after all, isn't it your own life that has shown you that this current pace that, that you're navigating this life isn't really working? Why not give the way of Jesus a, a shot? I mean, after all, you, you can always return to your psychotic pace if you so choose. But, but I have a sneaking suspicion. If you really hand Jesus the keys, that, that you won't even have the slightest of urges to do so. Now, if you haven't been here for the previous weeks of the series, again, today is part four of six. Uh, you can always get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages, uh, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab your podcast. And I honestly think that this is worth your time. This is, again, one of those series that no matter who you are, no matter what stage of life, young, old, Christian, not a Christian, uh, there's so much applicability to every single one of us. Now, now last week, we specifically explored uh, the discipline of silence and solitude. The, the, the single most important habit that, that any of us could possibly develop in our lives. Where we develop that habit, we often refer to it around here as that daily encounter where you actually pick up and, and you read this book called, called the Bible. You allow it to speak to you, to transform you. You share honest thoughts and, and feelings with God through something that we call uh, prayer. And, and today, as promised, we're going to explore another discipline, another practice of Jesus that that depending on, on the home or the environment that you did or didn't grow up in, it, it can elicit a, a wide range of emotions. T- today, we're going to talk about Sabbath. Now, now for most people, when, when they hear this term, uh, they think of sitting around on a Sunday, attending church, and, and then just staring blankly into the distance and doing absolutely nothing. Now, the term Sabbath, that comes from a Hebrew term, which is actually the language of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. Uh, it comes from this Hebrew term, Shabbat. And this term literally translated means to, to stop. And I love the, the simplicity of that. It's a day to, to just stop. Stop working, stop worrying, stop striving, stop wanting, just stop. The author of the book that bears the same title of this series, John Mark Comer, a book that you should definitely snag and, and get a copy of for yourself and, and actually read, uh, he, he makes such an astute observation in this area of Sabbath. Most of the advertisements, again, from the secular world that, that come our way in, in the lifestyle category, that things like furniture and coffee and meal services, home decor, that, that they're actually attempting to sell you on Sabbath, on, on stopping. Think about it. It's that couple laying in bed drinking coffee with some like massive, soft, weighted blanket covering the two of them. The, the family eating around a table, all with like the biggest smiles on their faces, beckoning to us, asking us, hey, doesn't this look nice? And you're looking at it going, yeah, it does. This is pretty great. And so you willingly spend $99.99 on, on that blanket. But, but the irony, just like last week, is that they're trying to sell you Sabbath without the best part, without Jesus. And it won't cost you $39.99 per month, like the latest meal service that you just signed up for. 
Sabbath is, is far more than just setting aside a day of your week to, to slow down. Though I think that is important, and we're going to talk about that in just a bit. It's, it's a way of being, of existing in this frantically paced world. As John Mark Comer, again, that author puts it, it's a spirit of restfulness that, that comes from abiding, from living in the Father's loving presence all week long. The, the, the author, John Mark Comer, he lays out for us a comparison between restfulness and, and relentlessness, which we're going to look at right now. And, and as we look at this, I just want to challenge you, like, which side resonates more with you? Not, not the person who might be sitting next to you, not the person whom you're floating around in your head right now, who you're thinking, man, it would be so good if they, like, listened to this message, and no, this, this is for you. Consider the difference between restfulness and, and relentlessness, do you have margin or is it busyness? Is there slowness or are you in a hurry? Qu- quiet or, or noise? Deep giving relationships that bring you true joy or is it isolation? T- time alone or, or crowds? Delight or distraction? I- enjoyment or do you tend to drift towards envy? Is it clarity or, or confusion? Gratitude or, or greed? Do you live a life that's marked by contentment or discontentment, trust or worry, love or or anger and angst, joy or melancholy and sadness, peace or or anxiety, working from love or working for love? Do do you work as contribution or do you work as accumulation or or accomplishment? And and again, like we've been doing throughout the series, which side resonates more for for you? And again, not the person next to you, but but for you. And and maybe another question, which side is your soul longing for? I'd like to show us just how important God, your your creator, thinks this practice is. And and by the way, that that, that is an important note that I want you to keep in mind as, as we walk through this. God created you. So, I think he therefore has a pretty decent idea regarding what, what might be best for you. Uh, imagine, for instance, the arrogance uh, that maybe you just put in, in a, a brand new in-ground pool. You save the money for it. You watch the construction process right out your back window. And upon completion, I mean, the water's finally in it. The kids, I mean, they already got their swimmies on. They're ready to go. And upon completion, right as the individual is about to give you the tutorial on the whole operation, you're like, beat it. Get out of here. I got it from here. I don't need you anymore. The pool's here. You don't need to tell me about filters and heating and all that kind of stuff. Get out of here. It's, it's time for our family to enjoy this thing. When you think about it, that's, that's what we so often do with God. Hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to it here in just, just a moment. In Genesis chapter 1, which happens to be the very first book of this greater book that we call the Bible, uh, we have the creation account laid out for us according to Scripture. God, for instance, out of nothing, he creates the heavens and the earth. He creates light and the sky and water and plants and animals. I mean, everything. And then for his grand finality, he, he creates you, you and I. He does all of this, by the way, in, in six days. It's, it's a busy six days, and dare I say it, the, the most productive six days ever. And once he has finished all of this, all of this creating, right at the beginning of the second chapter of Genesis, we're offered this little note. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God, our creator, had finished his work of creation. So he rested 
from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, if you grew up in church, these verses right here, they're not anything new to you. You know that the creation account, again, according to scripture, wraps up this way. But when is the last time, and honestly ask yourself this, when is the last time you really slowed down enough to reflect on on the implications of of what is being said here at the beginning of the second chapter of of Genesis? I I want us to to really pause for a moment and and think about this. The the, the God of the universe, who, who literally created everything, out of nothing. The God who possesses that type of power, the God who in fact breathed life into you, after all of this activity, after all of this creating, he does what? He he rests? Honest question for us to ponder. Do we think God needed to rest? It's not really a trick question. Just think about it logically. The, the same God who invented, for instance, the bumblebee, the, the pine tree, a, a largemouth bass. I mean, as excited as we get about the latest version of the iPhone, has any phone, any piece of technology been as impressive as, for instance, a mallard duck gracefully cruising over the top of a body of water? So, so that God who, again, possesses that type of power, that type of authority, that type of creativity, after all of this creating, he, he suddenly stops and he and he rests i mean as i've thought about this it just doesn't make any sense do, do we think god needed to rest or, or rather was he modeling something that that he didn't personally need but but knew you would need i would need is it possible that God was peering into the future of our lives and he recognized, since, you know, he, he did create us, so I think he knows us pretty well, that, that, that you and I would have a propensity to, to run ourselves ragged, to, to the brink of exhaustion. And, and since he cares so deeply about us, that not only would he speak about it, but, but he would model for, for us a habit that, that might rescue us from, from ourselves. See, when God created you, and we talk quite a bit about this around here, God, he, he literally placed a, a part of himself inside of you. It's, it's the whole image bearer bit. So, so you are, as we discussed earlier in this series, you, you are quite literally brimming with potential. The, the, the reason that, for instance, you have a desire for more to create, to achieve, just like we see with God himself in the creation account, is because God actually placed that inside of you. You are bearing the image of your creator. But, but we also have to recognize that, that though we have God-like tendencies, again, God placed a part of himself inside of you, we aren't God. We, we talked about this earlier in the series. We're, we're limited. It's, again, an exercise of God's intentionality that you and I have limitations. It's what intuitively causes us to go searching for him. Now, as we spoke about earlier, we, we attempt to fill that void with, with all sorts of created things. I mean, they're very cheap substitutes that never last. We, we attempt to fill our, our lives with these created things rather than the creator himself. It's a void that, that he can only ever fill. We are limited. 
We are the creation. He is the creator. So, as, as one of the great poets of our day famously said, so chickadee, check yourself before you wreck yourself. When we fight this work six days, Sabbath one day rhythm, we, we literally go against the grain of the universe. And maybe the ice cube reference doesn't really hit home for you, so let's quote the philosopher instead, H.H. Farmer, but they're actually saying the same thing. If you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. If you keep on pretending that you're God, that is, you confuse yourself in the pecking order, it will actually spell your undoing. You will wreck yourself. You will get splinters. So God, knowing you and I better than, well, we even know ourselves and Think of how incredibly kind this is of him. He, he stops. He, he doesn't just tell us, oh, by the way, you, you human beings are, are going to nearly kill yourselves with all of your striving and all your achieving and all your hurrying, so you better learn this idea of Sabbath. No, 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 he takes it a step further. He models it for us. I, again, reflect on the humility of this. How kind God is that he would model this for us in order to stress its importance. On August 24th of 1875, Matthew Webb, and we got to pick, look at that guy. I mean, we got to bring, we got to bring bathing suits back like that. Ladies out there especially, modest is hottest. And man, Matthew Webb is repping that well. Uh, Matthew Webb, this guy right here, he became the first person to successfully swim the English Channel uh, without any assistance. The feet, this blows my mind. It would take him 21 hours and 45 minutes. He, he would travel a distance of 39 miles. Uh, this is especially sobering for me. I remember uh, when I was in middle school, me and my two brothers, uh, we, we had this idea. We were at an Olympic-sized pool. We said, let's race there and back. So, like, is that one lap or two laps? I mean, but, you know, length of the pool, two times. Or go there and back. And we take off swimming as fast as we possibly could. And all three of us, about halfway down the first distance, we were hanging on those ropes in the middle like this is the hardest thing we've ever done in our lives. Again, this guy would swim for 21 hours, 45 minutes, distance of 39 miles. Now imagine that at the end of this journey, as he crawls up onto the beach, and literally overnight, he would kind of become this worldwide sensation. Everybody was talking about Matthew Webb. But, but imagine that at the end of this journey, he, he again gets up onto the beach, he's exhausted, but before he kisses his wife, before he grabs a meal, before he even gets a drink of water, he, he instead, he looks down the beach and he notices a group of like elementary age kids that are trying to swim, but he can tell they don't know what they're doing. And, and rather than relaxing, rather than going and doing, well, what, whatever he was supposed to go do, he, he immediately walks down the beach and provides a three-hour swimming lesson to these kids kind of what God does for us. He, he stops, he, he ceases because he, but better than anyone else, knows what, what we are capable of. That, that, that left in the hands of ourselves, well, we, we will ruin ourselves. So he stops and, and he models this for us because it's far too important to leave to chance. Out of an overflow of his love for you, he, he invites you to stop. And, and I want you to note here that in Genesis, he, he doesn't beg. He doesn't command. He, he, he rather, he invites and he models this for you because he cares so much for you and so desperately wants what is best for you. 
He's, he's looking out. Now, now, this isn't a practice or a, or a life-giving habit that is only spoken about within the pages of the Old Testament, as, as some people will attempt to explain away. It, it contains just as much life-giving power for followers of Jesus today. And Jesus himself, as you might guess, he, he modeled this exceedingly well during his time on this earth. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus and his buddies, his 12 disciples, that they're living into the promise of the Sabbath. And a group of, of annoying religious people that basically tell them, hey, you're not doing this right. See, they've created all these arbitrary rules around the Sabbath that, that ironically have actually robbed the Sabbath of its, of its original intention. That They've turned it into a burden rather than something that provides relief or, or respite. So Jesus actually takes this moment and he reminds these, these religious folks of, of what our heavenly father not only taught, but again, modeled for us all those years ago when he created the heavens and, and the earth. And it wraps up in this one beautifully simple statement. Jesus declared, he's like, this is how it is, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for, for the Sabbath. In other words, Sabbath is a gift for, for you, a, a gift from, from your creator. Jesus is looking at these religious people, these, these Pharisees as they were called, and he's going, come on, you guys. I mean, you know this book. You know the Bible better than anyone. And yet, you have somehow missed this? It's not like it's buried in the rather boring instruction of Leviticus. I mean, God put it right at the beginning, right at the top. God knew how much you and I would need this, so he modeled it even though he didn't need it. And again, I want us to think about this for a moment. Think of the arrogance on the part of the creation, of, of you and I. When we look at the creator and, and reject this gift because we think we either know better or, or we just deem it unnecessary, we become, to return to, again, that analogy from earlier, we become that new pool owner who is sheepishly calling the company after the fact wondering why our water is turned green, begging for them to come back out and fix it. And they're on the other end of the line asking, hey, why, why didn't you just listen to us in the first place? Why were you so sure that you somehow knew better? Here's where I'm going to land the plane this morning. I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that the most literal translation of the term Sabbath is, is to stop. But, but it can also be translated to, to delight. I know, I was kind of holding out on you. I, I did it on purpose to, to make a point, that point right now. Remember last week how I mentioned that th these disciplines aren't the ends in and of themselves, if that's how you treat these disciplines, silence and solitude, Sabbath, we're going to talk about more later here in this series. If that's how you treat them, we actually have a term for what ends up happening. It's, it's called legalism. It's just that that actually prompted the conversation between Jesus and those Pharisees about the Sabbath. They had become legalistic about it. And it ended with him again reminding them the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The end is, is not the disciplines. The end is Jesus himself rich, abiding, intimate relationship with, with Jesus. God created us so, so he knows us better than we, we know ourselves and, and he created us for him. 
so that we would intuitively go searching for him. I mean, even this morning, who, who do you think it has been that has been wooing you to even tune in and, and watch a service like, like this? He wants us to go searching for him and, and eventually enter into relationship with him. Some of you, you really need to hear this. God delights in, in you. <laughs> More than anything else, God just wants you. And Sabbath is a way of living that, that reorients our lives to the way that God originally intended. But before we as human beings came along and frankly started tinkering with the design and, and screwed it up. Sabbath is a way of reorienting our, our hearts, our, our souls, and we, we follow the example of God, of our, of our risen Savior, where, where we stop and, and delight. We delight in that which brings us true joy. And if you're actually following Jesus, you're emulating his lifestyle. And inevitably, what is going to bring you more joy than anything or anyone else? God himself. Delight in God himself. And if you're watching right now and you're skeptical, I get that. I know you have a lot on your plate. I mean, we all do. But here's my challenge. But better stated, actually, here's the invitation from your creator. Try it. Give it a shot. I mean, after all, to return to that probing question, what do you have to lose? Set aside a 24-hour period of time to stop and delight. For 24 hours each week, do only that which brings life. That which you delight in. And that's kind of the litmus test for, for what you ought to do on the Sabbath. Does it bring life to you? Do you feel closer to God? Or, or does it rob you of life? Does it rob you of presence? For, for me, this often means boating with my family, swimming with my kids, fishing with my son Malachi, snow skiing by myself, hunting with my brothers and my dad, eating good food, going on walks, Lots of sex with my wife, worshiping through song, praying, reading. Remember, it's not about doing nothing. It's participating in that which you truly delight in. That which stirs up true abiding joy. It's what makes you feel alive. It's what makes you feel more connected to God. And I want to invite you, schedule it. We talked about this last week as well. Don't you dare leave it to chance. It's way too important for that. Be intentional with it. For starters, on your Sabbath, you got to put your phone in jail. You got to put it on the nightstand, put it in an airplane mode. Literally, I know families that have a basket where they all have to deposit their phones and they have to be turned off into a basket for that 24-hour period of time because, well, there's never been an instance in the history of the world where, where a cell phone has somehow brought joy and true abiding life to a person. And, and practice what Jesus did, what, what your creator did. He, he set aside an entire day to simply delight in his world. Find that 24-hour period of time for you. For you, again, it might be the whole Saturday. For I have friends that, that they start at Friday at noon and they go till Saturday at, at noon. doesn't matter. Find that 24-hour period of time that works for you and, and your family. It, it'll be the day that, that sets the tone for the rest of your week. 
It'll have a way, as God himself told us, of of reorienting our, our souls. Your soul, which is longing to be reclaimed. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If you want to enter into the rest that Jesus promises us, that that is, you want to experience the life of Jesus, then you have to practice the lifestyle of Jesus. And Jesus took the words of his heavenly father seriously. So as followers of Jesus, we we ought to do as well. And if you're, again, still on the fence of following Jesus, I, I think you ought to give it a shot too. It'll be better for you and, well, all the people around you. So stop and, and delight. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you look out for us, that you really do know what, what is best for us, that you care so deeply about us. <sighs> we, we thank you that you haven't uh, offered us these, these ways or these habits or these disciplines or whatever you want to call them because, again, you're, you're trying to like get us to arbitrarily do things, but because, no, you're, you're trying to lead us to, again, that, that which is truly better for us and, and all the people around us. And so I pray that, again, as I have been begging during this series, that, that we would be a church that is marked by our doing, not just our, our, our listening, not just by our mm and, and resonating. I pray that we, again, would be a people who, who, who actually take these steps, understanding that it's an invitation from, from you, trying to draw us and again that that which is better for for all of us we, we love you so so much and it's your name we pray amen and the last thing i, I want to mention here before we let, let you go um is that there is so much more to say on the sabbath in fact this this message just practically speaking was so difficult to write i was like i could preach for 10 weeks on, on just the sabbath alone and i mentioned this book earlier in the series called the rest of god by mark buchanan uh, it's the best book that I have ever read on, on Sabbath, just, just as a way of living, as an invitation from God himself. And so if you're interested in learning more about this topic, uh, I cannot more highly recommend a book than this one right here. Uh, go grab a copy of that thing again, The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. 